Financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down, try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, we are here with David McIlvenny. Uh Before we get back to David and some of the topics we were talking about at the break, I do want to thank each of you again for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. And for the second hour, our sponsors are American Manganese, Barkerville Gold Mines, Crocodile Gold Corp, and Utopia Corporation, Go West Limited, Smash Minerals Corp., and Trevally Mining Corporation. Well, David, when we went to the break, you were talking about this great credit deflation. And one of the guests we've had on this show a few times, his name is Bob Hoy. Uh, Bob is a great historian. He goes back and looks at, uh, you know, long term, he's looked at credit cycles. And he figures that this uh, cycle that we're in now is the sixth major credit contraction in the last 300 years. And he says, uh, the last one, the previous one being the 1930s, and before that there were several times when the U.K. was the world's reserve currency and the United States, of course, became the world's reserve currency after the First World War into the Second World War. Uh, and, um, and Hoy notes that the real price of gold, what an ounce of gold would buy, rises dramatically during this time frame. Now, I have to think back on something you said during the first hour concerning the, uh, the, the, the equating uh, the housing prices to an ounce of gold, and you talked about how I think it was 600 ounces at sort of the peak as a, sort of an average house price, and now we're at about 120, and it goes down to 50 or 80. To me, this is uh, showing the purchasing power of gold going up dramatically relative to a house, and uh, and uh, well, at least relative to uh, to housing prices. Uh, does this make sense to you? Yeah, no, I, th I think that's where there's a huge advantage. And you know, I love the title of your program because that's really as challenging. I mean, w we can talk about negative things all day long, and at the end of the day, I still have a smile on my face. Why? Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it's, a, it's about being a realist, not either a pessimist or an optimist, and that's not an excuse. I mean, it, it's just a question of identifying trends and being on the right side of them. Yeah. If you can do that, then... You know, prices change all the time with assets, and and the question is, do you own them in, in, in a time frame that it's favorable, or are you getting punished uh, by having made a mistake and, and owning the wrong asset class at the wrong time? Right. Well, that's that's exactly right. And of course, uh, I chose uh, actually January. Actually, it was 1981. I chose to start writing a gold newsletter. You talk about timing. 
I mean, this was the worst. This was a, the start of a 20-year bear market in gold. Uh, I hung in there and continued doing it, worked as a full-time banker, and did this as a hobby until 1997. Still had a number of tough years ahead of me before 2002 and things turned around. But um, we... Uh, you know, you suggested we've got a ways to go yet in the gold market relative, in real, I guess what you're talking about in real purchasing power. Uh, nominal, who knows, because as you point out, uh, the dollar is not a stable unit of measure because it's endless numbers of, it can, of, of this unit of uh, measure can be created and are being created out of thin air by Mr. Bernanke and other central bankers around the world. So let's, uh, let's talk about, you have uh, your investment approach given these fundamentals that we've been talking about. Uh, you talked about some sort of a liquid uh, triangle or some con- yeah. conceptual model that you have that you use for your for your uh, clients. Uh, talk to our listeners about that. Well, I think one of the only ways for an investor to approach the markets is with a discipline. And you know, picking the right sector, picking this or that, those things are, are less important to me than, than operating with a discipline in mind. And for us, it's very simple. It's what we call the perspective triangle. It's a basic asset allocation model where you divide up and assign a task for different parts of your portfolio. If you draw a triangle, very simply, the right-hand side of that triangle is what we would call the liquidity mandate. You've got cash, cash alternatives, be that money market funds, CDs, short-term treasury bills, foreign currency exposure, but where you're able to operate a business, a household, etc., and anticipate a need for any liquidity uh, in that side of the, the perspective triangle. It also represents a great deflation hedge. So in the context of a credit deflation, you love having a few dollars more. On the left-hand side of the triangle, the growth and income side, that's a mandate where, depending on the assets in question, I mean, certainly your newsletter discusses uh, gold stocks in particular, great, that fits into a growth model and is certainly driven contextually by what we see happening in the economy today. The base of the triangle is what we call insurance. That's the insurance mandate. That's physical metals, gold and silver primarily, perhaps platinum and palladium, but the, but the two primaries for sure. What you have with this mix, an insurance mandate, a liquidity mandate, and a growth and income mandate, whether you're talking about asset inflation, credit deflation, a strong business cycle, a weak business cycle, you've got a certain number of horses that are always pulling for you. Again, whether it's the liquidity side during a deflationary snap, uh, the, the insurance side, the precious metals which are performing particularly well today, and we see an asset inflation trend in place there, and of course, customizing a growth and income portfolio on the left-hand side of the triangle. We discussed that in depth in our recent DVD, actually, as I mentioned to you on, on break, I haven't even seen a copy of it. It'll be available, I think, starting this Friday, but for anyone who wants sort of our annual State of the Union, what's happening in the economy, what's happening in the world, and what you can be doing about it that's positive, proactive, and strategic, uh, your listeners can go to orderdvdnow.com. Orderdvdnow.com, we sent it out complimentary. Last year, about 300,000 went out the door to clients, uh, subscribers, listeners, and uh, certainly we'd make that offer complimentary to your listeners as well. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, there's another website. We may as well uh, just take care of this now so I don't forget before we uh, before we say goodbye in, in a few minutes down the road here. But uh, where can people in general, where can they follow your work? Sure. Uh, we, can, we can be found, if you, if you just spell out my last name, M-C-A-L-V, 
M-C-A-L-V-A-N-Y.com. That's www.McIlvaney.com, M-C-A-L-V-A-N-Y.com. And you can listen to our weekly commentary. Uh, we have been in the precious metals business now for four decades and our wealth management service as well, which is more focused on the growth and income side of that perspective triangle. So, yeah, I, this is a time to be very conservative. And I think, again, that discipline, no one knows the future. And as, as many of your guests have asserted, this is definitely inflation. And many of your guests have also asserted this is definitely deflation. When you have really bright minds lining up on opposite sides of the fence, you as an investor have to take note and say, wow, what a challenging time to be making decisions. And that is the kind of time frame that you really need to rely heavily on on an, on an investment discipline. Yeah, there's no no doubt about that. Well, you know, uh, gold is is certainly uh, a, a certainly a key. Gold and silver uh, in my portfolio and the portfolio I advocate for my subscribers and your portfolio. But one question that I get coming at me time and time again is one about uh, confiscation. Uh, we're going to be talking to Jeff Dice. He's the chief of staff, Ron Paul's chief of staff, uh, later in the show today uh, about the Dodd-Frank bill that recently was passed. And there is some restriction on trading, I think, over-the-counter trading of gold or precious metals. Um, and then I might just pass on a question here from a listener. He said, since all governments have become self-perpetuating cancers, this is a pretty strong word, but perhaps he's spot on. He says, since all governments have become self-perpetuating cancers that keep growing and act like drug addicts that keep needing more and more to survive, will it even be worthwhile owning property if they keep raising taxes in order to continue their game? Unless they implode somehow, I doubt they'll stop their confiscatory theft practices on their own. And I, and I mention this in light of the fact that we're going to have Jeff Deist on later, Ron Paul's chief of staff, to talk about this very issue. But are you worried about confiscation? I mean, Roosevelt did it once in the 1930s. Is that something people need to be worried about? Well, here's perhaps a different view on Roosevelt's actions in 33. I would look at it as a 65% devaluation of the currency uh-huh. and, and an unhinging of, of the currency from gold. It allowed them to inflate where they really couldn't uh, prior to that. You mentioned Bob Hoy and you know looking at six major uh, credit events. And mm-hmm. one of the limitations to inflation during the gold standard, going back to 1717 and then the starting of the gold standard in Great Britain, and moving forward, you can't increase the stock of gold. So, yeah. so by creating a disconnect between the currency and the metal itself, now you have the ability to inflate your fears away, to inflate the problem away. And I would say that the probabilities of confiscation in this environment are slim to none. The probabilities will be rising with the price of gold. So, you know, let me qualify it with that. At $1,500 an ounce, you're looking at roughly $350, $360 billion worth of gold that's supposed to be at Fort Knox. And I'd love uh-huh. to know Jeff's opinion, Jeff Dice's opinion, on whether or not they're ever going to get a, uh, a full audit. audit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, $350, $360 billion, that may be a lot to you and me, Jay, but yeah. that's not even a quarter of this year's deficit. It right. amounts to the total stock of Greek debt. So we could help the, the, the Greek government out just by sending all our gold over, <laughs> and that solves one small problem, one small problem in the global financial scene. So right. 1500 not a chance, 5000 it's it's on someone's radar screen. Ten, yeah. fifteen thousand. If we should see those kinds of nominal values, maybe the risks have gone up. Um, mm-hmm. But I think your 
question uh, from, from your listener is, is very interesting. Property taxes. We're seeing property taxes go up here in Durango because mm-hmm. the town fathers uh, slated a budget that they can't afford. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're asking us to, to, to make up for it. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that, that's the sort of uh, Keynesian or socialist, let's say, Keynesian, I think, is sort of communism light, but that's what we've been getting. We've been taught that over years. Years and years, our economics 101 classes, not a mention of free market economics, really. There may be some lip service to it, and Milton Friedman is thrown in now and then, but basically we've been trained and taught to be uh, to be socialist, and I think that's what you know what we're doing. But now we're starting to say, wait a minute, where does the free lunch come from? And um, yeah, I guess it's, it's probably going to make people like yourself and others in Durango and, and local governments everywhere start to to hold the elected officials more uh, more responsible for what they do. Uh, we have so much more to talk about and not that much time, but let's just look at some of the major markets. Here is a bond market that has been in a bull market since since uh, 1982 or thereabouts. What is going on? How can we be in a bull market still in the long treasury markets? I mean, that's just, if you look at if you look at a chart, it's clearly what's happening. How do you explain that? My my only consolation here, because I've certainly been early in in stating that we should be seeing higher interest rates, yeah. uh, and I've been saying that for probably 18 months. My only consolation is that it takes a long time to turn a big ship, and this is one of the biggest in the world. Um, you know, if you look at 200 years of, of interest rate history, and Smith Barney did some great research on this back in the in, in the middle part of the decade, 2004, 2005. They looked at 200 years of, of interest rates here in the United States, and basically the longest cycle was roughly 36 to 38 years, up or down. The shortest was about 22, and the average was roughly 30 years, with interest huh. rates either rising or declining. And again, we're talking about secular moves, not the small yeah. little cyclical trends. Sure. But the secular moves, we've had a bond bull market, as you say, since 1982. Well, yeah. clock forward to the average, we're certainly beyond the 22. We're not quite to the 36 or 38, but we're smack dab on top of the 30-year average. Yeah. When it turns, it will turn for a long period of time. And then the question is, what's the impact of rising rates on equities? What's the impact of rising rates on housing? There's your second shoe to drop in the real estate market. Yeah. Not only do we have a supply issue, but now we have the inability for people to finance the purchase, unless, of course, the purchase price is significantly lower, because that's what happens when you end up with a 10, 12, 13, 15% mortgage rate, which that may sound crazy to someone who's under 40 years old. They just need to hang out with someone, have a cup of coffee with someone who paid those rates and higher. Yeah. Well, that's uh, very interesting you mentioned that because uh, over the weekend <clears throat> I read uh, sort of a, an academic paper by uh, a professor of economics, uh, I think it's Professor Hummel, uh, talking about the possibilities of the U.S. defaulting on its treasuries. Now we're talking about you know, the world's reserve currency defaulting on its treasuries, and certainly there have been some rumblings and some you know, rating agencies that have started to take a look and even mention uh, that the, that they're watching the U.S. dollar uh, for its credit worthiness. And, but um, if we start to have a huge increase in interest rates, I mean, that's going to impact negatively the uh, – I mean, we're talking about huge deficits now with very, very low interest rates. What happens – if the interest rates start to rise, or will that then beget a QE3 or, as Mark Faber says, a QE24? 
Right. I mean, and that's, uh, there's a number there that's critical to keep in mind because we keep on looking at, at debt to GDP and then the thresholds there. And uh, Reinhardt and Rogoff put the number at 90% and above 90%, you're in critical territory. The more important number is can you finance the debt and is, do the rates remain low? In Japan, they've got jet debt to GDP numbers that are twice that pushing 200, and yet they've been able to maintain low rates. If you can maintain low rates, then it's a debt burden that you can carry. If for any reason that those rates go up, you're going to turn uh, just the interest component on our national debt in, instead of several hundred billion into half a trillion, one trillion, two trillion annually, annually, just yeah. to make interest payments. And that's what's not sustainable, is, is our tax revenues will not ultimately keep up with, with our interest component on the national debt. Right. Well, the tax revenues, I think it was uh, John Williams who's been a guest on this show, economist John Williams, who's talked about at some point if the government were to make good on all the promises, um, Social Security and Medicare, etc., that it has on the books now, there will come a time when 100% of our incomes taxed away will not be sufficient to make good on uh, to fund those uh, those expenditures. It is really... <clears throat> very disconcerting, very uh, a very a very uh, troubling time. I think we've lived beyond our means for so long that it's it's starting to catch up with us. But I think at the same time, as you say, at the end of the day, we want to have a smile on our face. We want to be on the right side of the markets, and I think what we're trying to do is ex- assess reality so that we can do that. And I want to thank you again for coming on the show, David. Uh, you always have so much more to say. We could have gotten to Greece and the contagion effect of, of Europe and all of that sort of thing, but we do have to go to a break because we have to make room for our next guest, and I hope that we can have you back again sometime in the near future. Thank Jake, you again, David, for yeah, being with us. Great to be with you. I enjoy it always. Again, uh, before I let you go, again, they can get that DVD how? They go to over? OrderDVDnow.com. OrderDVDnow.com. Excellent. And they can tune in and watch and and keep up with your work at at McIlvaney.com. Excellent. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. We're going to go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to have Alan Shevsky. He's the president and CEO of a very interesting company with a new, uh, some new and exciting news that just came out today. Don't go away. We'll be back with Mr. Shevsky. <coughs> It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. 
with operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top 10 gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard It's just a love and ride You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am pleased to have with me again Alan Shevsky. He's the president and CEO of Paley Mountain. It's a company that has a very sizable deposit of rare earth metals as well as uranium. And uh, the company came out with some very exciting news today. So uh, welcome, Alan, uh, back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Oh, hi, Jay. Thank you very much for having me back on the program. Well, it's, uh, it's exciting to have you on today, especially because I believe it was just today that you put out a news release talking about your uh, preliminary economic assessment that was just published. Um, tell us, uh, first of all, your project is where? Okay, the project is located in Elliott Lake, which is in northern Ontario. Uh, Elliott Lake used to be known as the uranium capital of the world, but it also was the only place in Canada that has actually produced rare earth oxides commercially, and it was a very important source of the heavy rare earths historically. So, as you know, today, uh, rare earths are becoming a bigger and bigger issue as uh, new technologies require these things for their manufacture, and at this time, China really produces about 97% of the world's uh, rare earths, and they've put export restrictions on, so the rest of the world is is in a, uh, a sort of a desperate shortage of rare earths right now. So Elliott Lake used to be uh, producing rare earth oxides and, and can produce, once again, a long-term, secure, and reliable source of these very important uh, metals. Okay, so talk to us about your preliminary economic assess, uh, assessment that was just published. Okay, we've got a, a very big project developing here. Uh, Jay, it's a, a 9,400 ton a day uh, operation that's uh, projected in the, uh, in the uh, preliminary economic assessment. And over the life of mine, that's going to produce a total of 25 million pounds of uranium oxide and uh, 10.7 million pounds of total 
rare earth oxide. So it's a, it's a large-scale project. The economics are basically uh, the pre-tax cash flow for the economic model is $1.31 billion, and there's a positive net present value of $662 million at a 7.5% discount rate. And the internal rate of return on the project is 47%. Mm. So we're seeing very robust economics uh, for the project. And uh, the, the cash costs, the operating costs for producing a pound of uranium, net of the REO credits, which is the rare earth oxide credits, is about $16 a pound. So we couldn't be more thrilled about the outcome of this uh, preliminary economic assessment, and it's uh, really giving us the impetus to move this project forward. Alan, for those that aren't uh, on top of the uranium, the U-308 market, what is the price of uranium right now? The, okay, the, the, the long-term contract price, Jay, is about $68 a pound, uh-huh. and that's been fairly stable, uh, notwithstanding the events in Japan uh, the, in March and since then. It's been a very volatile spot market uh, because the spot market is uh, much lower volume than the long-term market. But most of the uranium trades in the long-term markets, and we're seeing a, uh, a price today of $68 a pound. Uh-huh. So that should give listeners some sense of what the, uh, what the economics are. What about capital expenditures, Alan? What is it oh, going to cost? To oh, in the economic model, uh, we're seeing a uh, startup capital of $212 million. Uh-huh. And uh, I think that's, uh, we're lucky because Elliott Lake has uh, already got a tremendous amount of infrastructure already in place. Uh, the fact that there were 12 mines there historically uh, means that there's already roads and power. And the whole city of Elliott Lake, which is nearby, was, uh, was originally developed just to support the mines in the, in the area. So uh, infrastructure is a very strong advantage that we enjoy at Elliott Lake, and, uh, and that's why we're able to have this relatively modest uh, startup capital of about $212 million uh, to get a, a size and scale of operation that we're talking about. Uh, throughout the life of mine, which is 14 years, there's an additional $195 million of uh, sustaining capital as well. Okay, well, uh, of course, the, uh, the net present value is something north of $600 million, I believe you said. But, Alan, that's a lot of money for a company with a market cap as small as yours, though. Now, how do you think that can be financed? Now, I know you're going to be doing more work. It's going to have to be a bankable feasibility study, and hopefully your share price uh, starts to rise as people recognize the, the net present value of this thing. But, but how, uh, I mean, is there some chance of offtake agreements or something like that with people that need the rare earths that might come in and help you finance this? Or, or what, what, is, what is your thinking at this point? Well, sure, Jay. These are, these are very strategic metals, and, and they're absolutely critical uh, today. So there's, there's a strong need for these metals, and, and that's what this uh, project can, can offer, is a long-term secure and reliable supply of rare earth oxides and uranium. And so we've had a lot of interests from companies, uh, some of them in North America, but most of them really over in overseas, shall we say, and, uh, and international interests that, that are looking for these kind of secure and reliable sources, especially right now for the rare earths. And so uh, we're, we've, be, we've commenced discussions with them. Now that this economic assessment is complete and uh, available, uh, they, they have the numbers that they can really sink their teeth into to, to uh, help in the discussions. Uh, prior to this, we weren't really at liberty to discuss the uh, uh, all of the important metrics, the uh, production rates, the, the uh, operating costs and the capital costs and the type of uh, information that they require to make a decision. So the possibility 
for working together either on an offtake basis or joint venture basis or strategic investor basis. These are different ways of, uh, of getting that money that we'll need to finish the feasibility and the licensing process and ultimately to get the capital to build the mine. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful asset and it, it does show robust economics and uh, I don't think we're going to have any difficulty over the long term financing this thing and moving it forward. Alan, uh, one more question before we go to break because we are out of time, but I want to ask you, do you have the people in place now to move this project forward? Oh, we have an outstanding technical team, Jay. We're working with people at uh, Roscoe Postal and at uh, SNC-Lavalin and and engineers that actually have hands-on experience working in the Elliott Lake camp who've actually worked on similar reefs in the camp uh, on the mining and processing. And and the methods that we're using have been employed uh, have been used in commercial op, uh, operations in Elliott Lake and done so successfully in the past. So uh, with, with their help and, and inside the company, we have uh, a gentleman by the name of Fergus Kerr, who's our vice president. He was the mine manager at the Denison Mine. Uh, and we've got on our rarest advisory committee, we've got Dr. Tony Mariano and Dr. William Bird. We've got a tremendous technical team, and, and we've, we do have the skill set within the company now to move forward through these critical processes, and we'll bring on the additional guys that we'll need to complete the feasibility and licensing work and to put this thing into production. Well, thank you very much, Alan. It is a very, very interesting project, no question about it. And when something is uh, selling at such a low price relative to its apparent value, it, it certainly needs, uh, deserves a, a further look. Uh, by investors and and by yours truly as well when I can find some time to take a a closer look. Well, I want to thank you, Alan, very much for being with us. And uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to have Jeff Dice. He's the uh, Ron Paul's chief of staff. He's going to be with us to talk about Dodd-Frank and what that might mean for trading gold and other things uh, going forward. So don't go away. We're going to be right back with Jeff Dice. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite, with operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000-ton-per-day mill, developed underground ramp, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. Dravali Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The half-mile mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Dravali trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. 
Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me again Jeff Dice. He is the uh, Ron Paul's chief of staff and uh, a friend of mine for a number of years now. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, Jay. How are you? I'm really good today. Um, I think we, uh, we have a splendid day in New York City, low humidity, nice bright sunshine, blue sky. Um, you know, it's hard to be uh, grumpy on a day like today, but... We can certainly find enough things on this show to talk about to be grumpy. There's an awful lot of things going on in your city, Washington, D.C., that uh, cause me to be grumpy. One of the things would be uh, something called Dodd-Frank. Now, Dodd-Frank must have, as as bills seem to pass these days, have so many different items tacked on that uh, I I wouldn't even venture a guess to what all is in that that, item. Uh, in that bill, but one of the things that's been brought to my attention is some restrictions on trading gold and silver, specifically for over-the-counter trading of gold and silver. Could you tell our listeners about that? Well, Jay, this is the now infamous Section 742 of the bill. Oh, Uh, okay. You know, the bill passed at the end of 2009. This particular provision was set at that time to go into effect July 15th. Um, of 2011, so just just 10 days away from us now. What they did at the time was they created a one-year comment period for for uh, basically folks or the market or or uh, uh, you know uh, investors to go and give comments to the uh, CFTC about what the regulations ought to look like. Mm-hmm. Basically, that year period is up, and now the, this provision is going to go into effect. And what mm-hmm. it what it says in essence is that over the counter. Uh, purchases of precious metals, uh, gold and silver, um, in, in the futures market are banned. They mm-hmm. need to be on some sort of you know, CFTC-regulated market. Mm-hmm. So what we, appe- what we appear to have is, is an end to over-the-counter precious metals transactions. Mm-hmm. And, and as you can imagine, that causes some consternation amongst investors who'd like to, to continue to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You know, and there's there's a lot of questions at play. I mean, first of all, we don't know if the the if this will affect the price of gold and silver, for instance. Mm-hmm. In other words, if the if the derivative market price will spill over into sort of the physical or futures market, as mm-hmm. folks need to unwind their OTC positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's another restriction. It's another uh, instance of uh, government coming in and wanting to control the the movement, even if it's not the physical movement in this sense. Of, of gold and silver and precious metals transactions. You know, Jay, we went and looked up some of the legislative history mm-hmm. because we wanted to see if the legislators behind this actually talked about this sort of, you know, uh, whether they had nefarious purposes. And actually, the, as you can imagine, the CFTC comes under the jurisdiction of the Agricultural Committees mm. in this House and Senate because historically those were futures were ag products, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a, a senator who's no longer in the Senate named Blanche Lincoln from Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And her office uh, wrote this provision, apparently, this Section 742, and they provided some legislative history. Uh, so we went back and read that, and we thought we were going to find them talking about ag derivatives or something like that. But no, they actually point out that this is aimed at, at for instance, energy and, and metals. Mm. Um, there was a pretty famous federal court case in 2004 uh, dealing with forex transactions, mm-hmm. where because the way the transactions were structured in the form of a written contract, mm-hmm. um, they were found that the uh, these foreign currency contracts were spot contracts mm-hmm. rather than than true forex, and hence they weren't subject to the CFTC. Mm-hmm. So this caused regulators up here to try to to work overtime to figure out how to apply these rules. And eventually, what we ended up with uh, was what we got here in Dodd Frank. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from from the liberty perspective, mm-hmm. we never look at intentions behind a bill mm-hmm. uh, because who cares? I mean, the, some of the worst tyrants in history have had, in their minds anyway, good intentions. Yeah. We always look at the effects of the bill. Does this yeah. make us freer or less free? Uh, yeah. Is it a tool for uh, for moving in the wrong direction in the future? And I think on both counts, this this uh, section seven forty two is a loser. Mm. Well, that's unfortunate. I can remember the arguments, uh, the discussion uh, during Greenspan's day about over-the-counter trading of various other instruments, and Mr. Greenspan, uh, and, and a lot of those instruments turned out to be very, very damaging to our economy and our markets. But, of course, he was uh, holding fast, at least at that time. Uh, perhaps uh, perhaps the bankers had enough influence on him that... Uh, uh, that he that he fought against uh, some some guy some people in the in the Congress that would have had uh, would have liked to have um, you know take, done away with over the counter uh, instruments. Well, so I mean, for Alan Greenspan Greenspan to be talking about any financial instruments, they, these were just the vessels for which he and Mr. Bernanke provided the mother's milk of yeah. of money and credit. So. Um, you know, I think it's a, a bit rich for Mr. Greenspan to be complaining about what people went out and, and did. In other words, how they got creative with all the cheap money he created in the first place. Yeah, yes, it's a, a little bit uh, disingenuous. It seems uh, would certainly seem. And now they go after though the real commod- the commodities, the real you know uh, assets that everybody needs. Uh, certainly, I would argue increasingly everybody needs precious metals too, not only energy but precious metals because of what uh, Mr. Bernanke and Greenspan have been doing to our currency. Well, I just saw on the uh, on the screen in front of me here, Jeff, um, that President Obama is going to talk about uh, deficit reduction. 
what's going on now uh, in Washington, if anything? I, I would gather that not much is happening in terms of reducing any deficits. What, what's your take on what's going on now in, in Washington on, uh, on this great um, issue of, of uh, raising the ceiling, the debt ceiling, and all of that? Well, mostly what's going on, Jay, is a false narrative that if, they, if Congress doesn't raise the debt ceiling limit, that we're somehow going to default Mm-hmm. on our foreign or, or our domestic interest payments. That's not true. Uh, we, we average, it, it varies wildly by month, but on average for 2011, our interest payments on our national debt, our treasury debt, will, will, will be something like $40 uh, billion a month. Um, we, we can easily, we, we, we bring in more than that every month. The question is not whether we will default on our interest payments. The question is whether we'll start to prioritize and cut back on some of this other stuff. And that's really the issue, is, is it's entitlement and military spending. The, the uh, interest on our national debt, that's sort of a smokescreen. Yeah, that's uh, an excuse. Uh, you know, actually, I wanted to ask you something else, uh, and this goes back to Dodd-Frank and this provision uh, of, um, you know, regulating or not allowing over-the-counter uh, trades. Um, it gets to this whole sort of paranoia, and it's a paranoia that's based on past um, Mr. Roosevelt confiscated gold. I think there's a number of ways that you could do it. I suppose you could just confiscate gold uh, by taxing, um, you know, raising taxes. And if we have a gold price that, that goes to the moon, which is certainly possible if they, uh, you know, if, if the policymakers, if the Federal Reserve Chairman continues to debase the currency, who's to say how high the price of gold could go? Do you think it's something that people should worry about, investors should worry about, because people on this show, of course, are, you know, the foundation of their portfolios are built on gold to a great extent and silver these days. Do you think it's something that people should really be concerned about? And if so, what should they do about it if there's anything they can do about it? Well, I do think people should be concerned. I mean, one might look at this Section 742 of the, of the Dodd-Frank Act and say, well, gee whiz, maybe they, they sense that gold and silver are going to go through the roof as the true nature of the dollar uh, starts to become better known out, mm-hmm. out across the world. And hence, there's going to be a lot more interest in people having leveraged positions because the, uh, uh, the, the, the possibility for tremendous gains in, in uh, physical gold and silver or the, the futures markets would be so great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, there, there's a simple way to deal with gold and silver in the U.S., and it's too late. To, to ban the ownership of it because there's so much of it in private hands, even in, in the physical sense, in people's yeah. homes. Yeah. Uh, but what you can do is you can ban the, the use of it. You can turn it into a black market item yeah. where people can only use it um, in the event of, a, of an economic collapse. And, and you know, you can, you can uh, mimic the Soviet Union and have snitches and, yeah. uh, and uh, pay people to turn into offenders. And, and put you in jail if you try to use your gold uh, as a currency. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. That's it's a scary thought. You know, that sort of thing wasn't supposed to happen in America, isn't supposed to happen here. Um, but, you know, a lot of things. I mean, the precedent was set. Um, Roosevelt uh, confiscated gold, and I think it was Henry Royce I had met in person uh, who said, um, you know, he could never understand why the penalty for owning gold was the same as for owning crack cocaine. <laughs> Well, so, it, you, you may recall that uh, Ludwig von Mises died uh, towards the late 60s, not mm-hmm. long before Nixon uh, severed the, the last sort of vestiges of the gold window, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things he said towards the end of his life was something to the effect that, you know, when the United States finally 
uh, gives up its gold reserves. When, mm-hmm. when there's no link between the dollar and gold is when the United States will finally be in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something he said towards the end of his life. And mm-hmm. uh, sure enough, Nixon came along. And uh, what perhaps Mises couldn't predict at the time was how long we'd be able to float as the world's reserve currency, in large part because OPEC is, has been kind enough to price oil in dollars. So the world has needed dollars just for, for that all these years. But uh, uh, nonetheless, it may have taken four decades, but Mises was right. Yeah, he certainly, he certainly was right. And I would wonder also if uh, sort of the large um, institutions like the IMF and World Bank and so forth, I think the IMF forbids countries from using gold as their currency, so therefore you get rid of the competition. And I guess Ron Paul's uh, idea would be to allow gold simply to compete, not to make it the currency, but allow it to compete with paper. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. He's, he's often been sort of uh, misunderstood as, as insisting on some sort of gold standard. On the contrary, we think that, that uh, uh, let the U.S. dollar continue to exist, let, let the Fed do what it wants to do, but let people in the private market, banks or whomever, come up with their own money to compete. And historically, gold and silver have always been money, and, and uh, we sort of doubt that something better will, will, uh, will be found, you know, but it could be seashells. Uh, you know, the bottom line here is that um, the markets are rooting out the, the fact that our dollars are, are becoming worth less and less, and, and we need something to compete with that. Well, it's something called, uh, sometimes called funny money that we've had now, since, especially since 1971, and if you look back, you'll see that's when the explosion of credit and debt took place in America, and when funny money and this whole reallocation of resources from those that control this, the creation of wealth away from the people that create wealth, I think it's immoral. It's absolutely immoral, and our founding fathers, uh, some of them at least, would be turning in their graves if they knew what was going on. Jeff, I want to thank you again for coming on. We have to do this more often and, and get an update on what your boss is up to, too, as he's uh, running for president. We want to support him. I do anyway, and I think a good number of our listeners do. So we want to have you on again. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you, Jay. Folks, don't go away. We've got a, a break, and we're going to have a short segment uh, with my good friend Ted Ohashi. He's going to be with us to wrap up today's show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. <coughs> When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Entertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Entertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CNN. SX Exchange. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. 
Turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and for the wrap-up of today's show, I've got Ted Ohashi with me. Welcome, Ted. Hi, Jay. Nice to be with you again. Nice to be with you as well. Uh, how are things in Vancouver? Well, I have to tell you, it's a beautiful day in paradise today. Well, when you have nice sunshine, no rain, snow-covered mountains, water all around your little island there, uh, it is almost like paradise, I must admit, in Vancouver, one of well, my favorite cities. you know that city. beautiful view that we have from the investment pitch offices here over the harbor? And oh, yes, do I know. I'm just sitting here looking and out at it. It's just fantastic, and we've done some, some great videos there. We've uh, had uh, just filmed 14 of them in June, and a good number of them are now starting to be posted at, at investmentpitch.com. Uh, uh, I know Prodigy was one that was just posted, I think, today, and there's a number of others. I think... Uh, some real good prospects. In fact, Prodigy was one that I just recently recommended in my newsletter. Well, Ted, we've seen the price of gold bounce back fairly significantly today. I didn't, uh, oh. haven't seen it recently, but where is the gold price, and, and wh- how do you account for it? Well, it, it's bounced back uh, back above 1500 I think it was around 1512 the last I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, what's happened in the gold market is the uh, GLD uh, exchange-traded fund um, has added volatility to uh, both, well, to the gold market and, of course, uh, the silver fund to the silver market. Uh, what happens there uh, in, a, uh, in a process is that uh, as investors buy and sell uh, units in the fund, um, the balance each day results in the fund either buying or selling physical gold. Uh-huh. Um, and so if they, if they sell some gold... It, it tends to push the price down, mm-hmm. and then people are afraid that a downtrend is developing, so they sell more paper units of the fund, and then the fund sells more gold, and, and it sort of accelerates down yeah. until it gets to a point like it did today, I think, where the price is so low that, uh, that some people decide, well, this is far enough, and, and they uh, purchase, and then the fund steps into the physical gold market and buys, um, and, and then the price of gold goes up, and people say, well, gee, you know, the, the gold price has been down. It's been correcting. Now must be a good time to uh, jump on board. And then, you know, you, you kind of get uh, volatility on the upside. So yeah. I think that's kind of what we saw today. Well, that could very well be the case, uh, certainly, Ted, uh, in terms of percentage gains and losses, though, I think, uh, while there is some increased volatility maybe coming from that source, Chen Lin uh, observed in the first segment of today's show uh, that usually gold is quite weak in the summertime. He's uh, very heartened by its strength this summer and, and looks for the possibility of a very significant uh, increase in the price of gold, and, and I think he would say silver as well, going into the fall. Any thoughts on that? 
Well, I, I think that, uh, that there are a number of events coming up here in the not-too-distant future that uh, are going to impact the price of gold a lot. I mean, there's everything uh, that's going on with Greece and, and the euros and uh, the debt situation over there. There's the whole debt ceiling issue in the U.S. And, you know, and that's turned into kind of a choreographed affair where, uh, you know, oh, we can't reach a solution, we can't reach a solution, and then... You know, at the 11th hour after working their tails off, oh, we have a solution, you know. Yeah. And so um, there, there's going to be a lot of that kind of activity going on, and, and I think it will uh, uh, keep interest on uh, gold stocks keen and, and keep the price high. I, I agree with uh, uh, Chen. Yeah, Chen is certainly plugged in well to uh, Chinese uh, society. His family is in Beijing, and uh, and he is very, very optimistic about the price of gold uh, going forward. Um, let's ask you, Ted, also, you are going to be visiting uh, Chicago again, Rich Redez's show. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that show. Yeah, um, uh, Rich Redez, as you know, Jay, because uh, you're a regular uh, speaker uh, there. Um, uh, it's called the Sh- uh, Chicago Resource Expo, um, and they hold it uh, in the spring and in the fall. Uh, and this year they're having a little uh, summer special, you might call it. Uh, Clyde Harrison is going to be uh, the, the featured speaker, um, and I'm going to be there speaking uh, as well uh, on a uh, company that I've talked about on your show a few times, which is uh, our little uh, gold operation in Belize. So mm-hmm. uh, that's on July 16th. Um, and uh, anybody in the Chicago area that wants to uh, uh, is certainly welcome to uh, drop by. Well, excellent. Uh, is there? Do you know? Is there a website they can go to? Do you know what it would be offhand? Yeah, I, I think if they uh, just uh, Google the uh, Chicago Resource Expo. They can find um, they'll it. get all the information on that show. Excellent. I know that Rich's shows in the spring and the fall attract people from a number of states uh, around Illinois, uh, north, and you know, and from every direction. And it's a great show. So it's uh, certainly worth if you're anywhere near there to go and uh, and listen. I think Clyde Harrison, you mentioned, is going to be talking. Clyde is definitely has a lot of wisdom and, and insights in the market. Very well worth listening to. Well, that's all the time we have this week, folks. Uh, we will be back next week with our special guest will be James Turk. Um, and so you won't want to miss James Turk, uh, the uh, proprietor of goldmoney.com, a very, very valuable service. I want to thank our um, uh, the people at Voice America, starting with my executive producer, Tacey Trump, uh, also Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening to the show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Uh, business channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is in real.